Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Christmas really does uh, begin the greatest love story the world has ever known, uh, starting with the cradle and going all the way to the cross. You know, the reason that there's Christmas is because all mankind was under God's rightful wrath due to our sins. We had all been rebels against heaven. We had defied him. And as a holy God who cannot tolerate injustice, he was right to punish us defiant rebels. And so that's the situation we were all in. We had fallen and we couldn't get up. We were drowning and we needed a savior. We needed a, someone that cared enough about us to rescue us despite our drowning in our sins. And that's what Christmas is all about. Jesus left heaven, he came to earth, and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves on the cross after living that perfect life that made him able to be that sacrifice for our sins. And so Christmas is a reminder of the greatest love story the world has ever known. That, and it's reflected in that song, and that's why I opened by saying that, because uh, you know we hear uh, peace and goodwill to men. Well, basically, that can only happen because of Christmas. We were at hostility at God, rightfully deserving his wrath, and God comes to us and says, because of what Jesus has done, now I am extending peace with me to you, forgiveness of your sins, eternal life instead of the eternal death you deserve because of your rebellion against me. So thankful for Christmas. Well, folks, the year 2020 has had more twists and turns than the Dan River, or maybe the Crooked River, the Mississippi River, right? And why should Christmas be any different? right? We've dealt with frustration and anger due to cancellations and rapidly changed plans, confusion and fear over frustrating circumstances. There's been sadness, there's been sickness, there's been grief, there have been strained relationships, there's been, for many, a discouragement and depression. And maybe that's just uh, since November <laughs> for some of you. But through it all, we've had to go back to the very basic things related to trusting in God and relying on his providential care for us. And it has been so neat this year to hear from so many of our church members and other Christians we've come into contact with who have told us that this year in some ways has been the best year spiritually for them in a while as one by one things were stripped away and they needed to spend that time somewhere and found extra time in prayer. I heard from a member just yesterday that uh, yesterday just felt led to pray some every hour, and it just blessed her life as she did that. Well, the story of Mary, Joseph, and the birth of Jesus contains many emotions, many uh, emotions like we have felt this past year. Uh, There's a roller coaster in the first couple chapters of Luke and the first couple of chapters of Matthew as the Christmas story is related. There's a roller coaster of emotions there that's not unlike what we've experienced this year. And a close look reminds us that those who experience the first Christmas can relate to the emotions we feel during a quarantine Christmas. Their emotions were brought through many twists and turns in a very short time. Now think about it. It all started with 
two very godly young people, each having deeply moving spiritual encounters. We think about the angel Gabriel stepping through the veil of time, stepping, in, stepping out of the spiritual realm into the earthly and the physical realm, into our world, and going to the city of Nazareth in Galilee. And there he appeared to a virgin girl named Mary who was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, we get engaged, but don't consider the deal officially done until the marriage ceremony. They just did it differently, and many cultures around the world do today as well. They considered the marriage deal officially done at the engagement ceremony, agreed to by the families, and the husband-to-be would then go back to his family compound, and he would get a place ready for his new bride to come to, and sometimes that process would take months. They were already considered married, but had to wait to consummate the marriage until after the several-day-long marriage ceremony. It went without speaking that they were to remain faithful to each other during that time. So Joseph the carpenter was at his family's house compound working hard to get he and Mary's house ready. Mary was back with her family getting ready to be Joseph's wife, uh, learning all the crash course things from her mom and aunts that up until this time as a girl she hadn't been too interested in but now wanted to get really good at in a short amount of time because she was going to set up her own house. So turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, as we start out, and we're going to be looking at these emotions of Christmas. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, In the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee in northern Israel named Nazareth, the city was Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. You found grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, or Israel, forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. (laughs) Then Mary said, let's back up a minute here. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? I've never slept with a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will indeed be called the son of God. Now Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For without God, for with God, with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it me to be, be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The emotions of Christmas, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that uh, during these topsy-turvy days where the children are getting excited about opening their gifts at Christmas, and we're trying to make things as normal as we can for them, children and grandchildren. We're mindful that even now uh, we've got some families quarantining and we've got some others that uh, are just uh, still have some late-minute gift shopping to do, and there is a lot of topsy-turvy emotions. There is also the wondering if 
some that we want to be home for Christmas will be able to make it home for Christmas, and there will be the grief of those that uh, are now with you and no longer with us here that we won't have with us at Christmas time, Lord. Christmas brings up a lot of emotion, so does this cold time of year. And Lord, we're thankful that the, those who partook in the very first Christmas, Mary and Joseph, can relate to a whirlwind of emotions. And so as we look at the different emotions they faced, may we be mindful that you want to meet us in the midst of what we're thinking and feeling now as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, the first emotion of Christmas we want to look at was Mary being shocked and confused. Now, some of you on some of these might quibble whether that was an emotion or not, but Mary was shocked and confused. She had never seen an angel before, and then all of a sudden here's a very important angel, the archangel Gabriel, speaking to her. And he's telling her that she's pregnant with the long-awaited Christ child because she had found favor with God. Now, Mary knew you had to have sex to become pregnant and that she had never had it with Joseph or anyone else. And so in her innocence, she says, wait a second, how can this be since I've never been with a man? And Gabriel told her that she would experience what we would call the miracle of the virgin birth. Virgins haven't had sex, they can't have babies, and yet she had the Holy One of God inside of her all of a sudden through the miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit and was going to deliver those 24 chromosomes uh, as a baby at, at a, you know, just nine months later. Uh, very powerful. Mary had probably told God many times as a faithful young little uh, Jewish girl, she had said, God, I love you and I want to serve you and I want to make a difference for you. I want to be a history maker in my land. And God, it's such a difficult time for our nation being under Roman occupation. It seems so long since the last prophet spoke, and it seems like our generation just is so fickle and not ready to receive the promises that you have for us. But God, I want to be one ready to receive your promises and to act on what I know to be true in the great law of God. Now, for Mary, she figured that would mean a quiet domestic life in Nazareth. She thought that would mean being married to that hunky, good old carpenter boy man named Joe, you know, and setting up house with him and living the domestic life. But all of a sudden, her world was turned completely upside down. And, you know, all of a sudden, all the plans she had been making had to change to include this shocking and confusing news that somehow she was going to bear the Christ child. So the first emotion of Christmas was Mary being shocked and confused. The second emotion of Christmas was Joseph feeling betrayed, feeling betrayed. Look at Matthew chapter one, turn to Matthew chapter one. And so Matthew chapter one lets us know about the birth of Jesus Christ, verse 18. Now, first of all, let's look real quick at verse one of uh, Matthew one. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Matthew's indicating right off the bat, I'm going to tell you about the one that will fulfill the prophecies made to David and Abraham. This is the coming Messiah that will be not only Israel's king, but the savior of the world as the world turns to him for forgiveness. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. 
Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, a righteous man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly, to divorce her before they came together in the marriage ceremony. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means God saves. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. That's Isaiah 7.14. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, oh, he probably, oh, what am I going to do about all this? He's on his bed. He was aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and he did not know her sexually till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he he called his name Jesus. So the second emotion of Christmas was Joseph feeling, dealing with these feelings of betrayal. Joseph also understood that nobody gets pregnant without having sex first. Somehow he got word that Mary was pregnant, and he immediately assumed the worst, <laughs> that Mary had been unfaithful to him, that she had broken those, uh, those betrothal vows. And undoubtedly, all the things people say about things like that in our day were said by, to Joseph by those who loved him. Uh, undoubtedly, there's some righteous anger from his family members toward Mary. Oh, what's this story we hear about her being pregnant? And she's telling you some line that somehow this God's done this? Oh my goodness, that's not how babies come. And so in those days, Joseph was dealing with a sense of humiliation, a sense of betrayal. And uh, you could hear him say, hey, Joseph, you know what the law calls for in situations like this? You ought to call her before the elders, and knowing she's guilty, she ought to be stoned to death like the law calls for. And the text refers to that here. It says that Joseph was a just man and did not want to do that for, to Mary. Uh, I think when it says he's just uh, and he's righteous, you can also read in this, he, he was a, a man of honor, a man of dignity, a man of respect. And even if he hadn't received dignity and respect from Mary, or so he thought, he thought, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to make that public example of her. We'll just deal with all this quietly. And undoubtedly, some of the feelings of embarrassment about all that was in the back of his mind as well. But uh, you, you know, he, he just couldn't buy her story that somehow God was behind all this. So he said, let me just quietly divorce her and that'll be the end of it. And that's when the angel came to him and told him the rest of the story that we just read. Now, they say that the Lord works in mysterious ways, right? You've heard that expression, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And <laughs> that sure is true in this situation. Both Mary and Joseph wind up having this incredibly meaningful time, uh, touched by an angel, so to speak, where they hear the rest of the story about what's going to befall them. But wouldn't it have been nice if the angel had told them both at the same time? If the angel had just told them both at the same time, they could have processed this together and been together from the very start of it. But we read about the angel first coming to Mary and a second encounter that happened with Joseph. Just like with Mary and Joseph, sometimes today, the women in the relationship understand something spiritually before the man does. Has that ever been true in your home? It sure has been in mine, you know. And many times, 
uh, our wives, or if you're dating your girlfriend, is more in tune spiritually and thinking things through spiritually in a way that you aren't, you're just not there yet. And we see some of that here with Mary and Joseph. It's, it's hard to be patient and loving while you're waiting for your man to figure it out, isn't it, ladies? And we got a few in here, but also there on the, uh, you're watching at home. But uh, so this leads to the third emotion that they were experiencing. The third emotion of Christmas was Joseph and Mary working through their hurt, working through the hurt that they had over, over how quickly this had come. Mary undoubtedly was hurt because Joseph didn't initially believe her. Joseph was hurt because of all the gossip and slander that they had to experience. And this would have seriously overshadowed their Christmas, except they didn't even know it was Christmas because nobody called it that yet, right? They were experiencing what we would now call Christmas looking back. And so undoubtedly hurt was a big part of that and uh, thank the Lord that he sent the angel to Joseph so this divorce didn't happen or worse, the stoning of Mary with baby Jesus inside of her, all of that could have happened as people make their choices in how to react to things. And so that leads us to the fourth emotion of Christmas, Joseph and Mary both humbly submitting to God and one another. Uh, these circumstances were humbling them, but they also loved the Lord. They humbled themselves before him. And we read about it happening different ways for Mary and for Joseph, but both are very meaningful for us. So back in Luke's gospel, in Luke one thirty-eight, we read, Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I'm not sure that means Mary understood everything that was about to happen, but she wasn't going to argue with God or God's representative, God's messenger. Instead, she said, okay, uh, I, I don't fully understand all this, but here I am, Lord. Here I am. You remember in Isaiah 6, uh, Isaiah's great response to his encounter with the Lord, here am I, send me. Okay, Lord, Mary says, here I am. I'm your servant. I'm your maiden. I'm your maid servant, and I will do what you tell me to do like a good maid servant would do. And I love how Mary believed what God had told her through the angel, but she also acted to confirm it, which is a pretty good example for us. The angel had said that Elizabeth was also pregnant, right? Cousin Elizabeth, old cousin Elizabeth was pregnant. And so Mary said, hey, one way I can confirm that this really was something God was telling me is to go to the hill country where Elizabeth lives and see if indeed she's pregnant. And you know the great story, she goes there, John the Baptist leaps inside Elizabeth when Jesus and Mary walk through the door, Jesus inside of Mary there. It's just beautiful uh, when we get that. Her counseling session with Elizabeth helped her process what she had heard God say to her, and that's a great example for us. If there are ways that what we think God is leading us to do can be confirmed by going and sitting with another person, a pastor, a counselor, a friend, a relative, then we ought to do that, and Mary modeled that here. The things that uh, nobody would believe you on, like her time with the angel, could be confirmed by uh, the angel being the one to announce that Elizabeth was pregnant when they hadn't gotten that email yet or that text or letter or smoke signal, whatever it would have gotten there during that time. Now, we don't get any grand statement of submission like that uh, back in Matthew 1 related to Joe the carpenter. It'd be neat to have Joseph's word and said, okay, Mary said she's your maidservant. I'm your dude. I'm your dude, God. I I I'll do what you say. We don't get any statement like that. And we often don't from men, do we? But his action showed he was also submitting to God. Matthew 1 tells us that he got out of his bed, 
took Mary as his wife, kept her a virgin until Jesus was born. Whatever else he was feeling or thinking or dealing with there, he said, okay, I've been given my marching orders and I'll go do it. Mary did it. Joseph did it. They both humbly submitted to God and to one another. And I don't know if you've ever had to work through the kind of things they're working through here, but it can be mentally and emotionally and spiritually exhausting. And so that's why I feel comfortable using the words emotions here. It was certainly things that were stretching them and their faith. And God was working in and through them in their generation. Uh, But uh, it, it was a tremendous ask from the Lord for this. Well, the fifth emotion of Christmas was Mary singing joyful praise. Look back in Luke chapter 1 at what is called the Magnificant, kind of using the Latin because of uh, uh, Mary magnifying the Lord. And so look at what Mary sings after her visit with Elizabeth, verse 46 of Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, my soul magnifies. It makes much. My soul makes much of the Lord. I hope your soul makes much of the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the humble, lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty." He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. All those promises as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary returned with her about three months and returned, remained with her for three months and returned to her house. So she had an amazing spiritual time with her cousin Elizabeth as together they processed and probably thought back over all the Old Testament prophecies they knew. And Mary came out of that time with a song of praise in her heart. I hope that somehow this week during the Christmas week, you will be able to stop and just praise the Lord. Oh, wasn't it good to sing Joy to the World and those other songs we just sang? Uh, Truly, uh, you know, there is so much that gets our attention during Christmas, so many wonderful Christmas specials, Elf and the Grinch and the Christmas Carol and all those different things, but it all ought to point us back. It all ought to point us back to how wonderful and great Uh, this Christmas message is, this Christmas child is that grows up to be our Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, folks, we don't know whether Joseph, the carpenter, was also singing, but we do know he was as resolved. And and I like to think about Joseph back in uh, Nazareth there. I like to think of him at his workshop and Mary was writing songs. I like to think of Joseph as putting his carpentry skill into baking the very best cradle for baby Jesus he could, using his woodworking skills to say, this is my way of showing how ready I am for this moment. Whatever this moment means, I'm going to take what I'm good at and use it to glorify the Lord. And some of you are good at woodworking or something else. I'm pretty sure that's how Joseph was channeling his spiritual commitment to the Lord through this. But then the next thing happened where they wouldn't be able to use that cradle that he was building for a while. The sixth emotion of Christmas was irritation at the government. We can't really relate to that in our day for any reason, Um, but uh, the sixth emotion of Christmas for them was irritation at the government. Look at Luke chapter 2, 
verses 1 through 5. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. He ruled the entire empire, including all the different countries they had conquered from Rome, that all the world should be registered. And when they were registering the world, it wasn't about voting because they didn't get to vote on anything like we do. Uh, They were registering so they could tax the people. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Luke mentions that because Syria would have been in the administrative region that all of Israel fell under with its sub-regions, right? So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, that's in the north part of Israel, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, that's in the southern part of Israel. And he had to be, he he, uh, did that, it says, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who, wife who was with child. Now, what kind of nation would insist on taking a census so they could take up taxes at Christmas time? April 15th, our tax day. Who would make Christmas time tax day, right? Well, they had never heard of Christmas because there hadn't been Christmas yet, right? But Rome did know they wanted tax revenue, and to rightly tax people, you have to register to people. So instead of finding some way to tax people where they live, they decided to tax people based on where they were from. So get this. Wouldn't you think there'd be some kind of humanitarian exceptions for late-term pre- uh, people in late-term pregnancy or something like that? Some way that Mary and Joseph could say, whoa, whoa, we need a few months. <laughs> this woman's about to have her baby and stuff. Rome didn't care about exceptions. People were like cattle to them to be moved from one place to the other. And so all of a sudden, picture it in your mind's eyes. Israel's roads, those dusty roads, filled with people traveling in all different directions, Right? Uh, under the watchful eye of Rome's very efficient army. And and for Joseph and Mary, this was going to mean an 85-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem on roads full of extra people, full of extra smells, full of extra jostling and pushing and shoving, while Joseph walked and Mary rode the donkey. And we aren't told that during that time, they looked at each other giddily like elf and said, oh, this will fulfill the great prophecy of Micah, that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. No, uh, they were probably more just irritated, frustrated, fatigued, worn out. For them, it probably was just one more sense that Rome tried to dominate and did dominate every part of their lives. They were discouraged, they were irritated, and uh, sometimes that happens. Now, you try riding side saddle from here to Roanoke while you're nine months pregnant and see if you can keep from getting irritated, right? (laughs) Uh, Certainly, Mary's probably doing everything it can not to let the water break and the baby start coming. And we, we know that they didn't have a lot of money anyway. So at the end of the day, Rome's going to tell them, oh, you don't have anything we can really tax. Until they find out about that gold gift later, they probably wanted to tax that, you know. But we're told that when Mary and Joseph did get around to bringing Jesus to the temple later, the sacrifice they brought was two turtle doves. And if you look back in the Old Testament law, you'll see that meant they were lower middle class. There was one offering poor for poorer people than that, but that meant they were pretty poor. There was a couple offerings above that that would have been much more substantial. That was what they brought because they were poor. What a hassle it was meeting those government regulations, and yet Joseph complied as a citizen or as living in the empire there. Well, the seventh emotion of Christmas follows, and that's probably fatigue and anger. 
Have you ever gotten so wore out getting ready for Christmas that you're still tired during Christmas? Have you ever been getting together the tree and the gifts and all the different things and handling this one coming in from the airport and that one coming in, uh, you, you know, driving and the worry about whether they'll get here safe and the different things and, and, and then snap at each other as husband and wife a little bit or something like that, you know? Uh, frustration, uh, anger. And Joseph and Mary could relate. Look at verse six of chapter two. It says, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I remember when I first thought about all this innkeeper and the busy inn, no vacancy thing, and about having to go to the place that they kept the animals, the travelers kept the animals and being inside there. And, um, you, you know, you think about the animals, you think about the manger scenes, and you can process that pretty much in a just a kind of pseudo-spiritual way, right? Where you go, oh, it's so neat, the manger, baby Jesus. And, and I've, I've, I've gotten, over the years, I've gotten every possible animal I could have to add to that manger scene, including a goat and stuff like that, you know. And, 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 and we can process that in a very smaltzy kind of way, but think about them for a minute. They get into Bethlehem, they try to get room in the inn, but there's no vacancy there. And apparently, nobody in Bethlehem at the time was gentleman enough to give up their place in the inn for a woman about to give a baby, have a baby. We even think, oh, the innkeeper. I don't like the innkeeper. The innkeeper should have let him go home to her house and have the baby and his wife help. This is a child of Israel in great need about to give, if, if ever there was a place for some help and some love and the great things the law called for in helping your neighbor and loving them, this was a case. I mean, this is a classic example of the story Jesus later told about the Good Samaritan and nobody helping. Hey, you can stay with the animals in the back. Well, guess what in the back meant? It meant with more people in a crowded, no vacancy inn. It meant more animals too, which meant more smells, which meant more poop, which meant more hassle. It was standing room only there. There wasn't a beautiful spread out scene. There was a cramped and horrible conditions for them to have to face as they were fatigued. And I'm sure some anger came into that. I bet they were beyond frustrated. And I think anger is an appropriate word. Well, that leads to the eighth emotion that they were probably facing. Sadness and grief. For many of us this Christmas time, there will be sadness and grief as well as a sense of deep joy for what Jesus has done. But many times at Christmas, we're reminded of who's not there with us to celebrate. Those who have died, those situations created by divorce, those who are elsewhere instead of with us, those not being there, uh, they're not being there is there with us. Does that make sense? They're not being there is there with us and hanging in the air as we miss, as the widow misses her husband, the widower misses his wife, and we miss those that just weren't able to make it or were thinking about great Christmases in the past and not so great Christmas in the past. For Mary and Joseph, they're about to have their first baby. Back up in Nazareth, that would have been a time when her mother and her aunts and others could assist her in getting everything right. And so here's this scared teenage girl. She's having her first baby. Uh, and Joseph's there with her, and he don't know anything. He's a man. He knows how to make things. He doesn't know how to help be a midwife. 
and, and, and but mama does and aunt does and, and, and this whole way of it being a great time. Mary's never going to get that with her firstborn child. She's never going to get that time. There's got to be sadness from that. When you're facing things like they're facing, it's easy to conclude that God is mad at you. Sometimes when we have things come up and we've got difficulties, the first thing we think is, oh, oh God must be mad at me for something. And many times the opposite is true. God wasn't picking on Job. He was allowing a test in Job's life, not because he was mad at Job, but because Job was one of his favorites. And sometimes you having an extra hard season or even this whole year, uh, maybe because God wants to do something in your life. So uh, I think about this with them and how the opposite of mad was true. God adored this young couple. He had a plan for their lives and the child to be born amidst those adversaries. So that's the context for the ninth emotion. I mean, they have baby Jesus and they're just worn out. She's got the grief there. Baby's put on her and, and, uh, you know, the animals are still making loud noises and, and still making all kinds of smells and things like that. They're far from home, away from family members. They're clinging to the faith they have in God but there's so much about this that must have been so frustrating. That leads us to the ninth thing. The ninth emotion of Christmas was encouragement from new friends. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. There were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. It wasn't the ones that had the MBA degrees that were out in the fields watching the flocks by night. These were the guys that, uh, you know, were keeping the sheep. Interestingly, they're probably out under the same sky that David had seen and written Psalm 23 about the Lord being my shepherd, right? And uh, me having no one. David had probably been looking up at the stars and reflecting on that when he wrote the great Psalm 23. And here in the city of David, just outside of there, a thousand years later, shepherds are looking up at that same sky that David had been reflecting on. And all of a sudden, these shepherds living out, verse nine says, behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. You would be too. Think about the darkest night you've ever been outdoors, and then all of a sudden it being flooded with a light, and you've never seen an angel, but you know that's an angel. And the response was almost always fear, like, uh-oh, uh, I don't know about this moment. And they were afraid too. It says, then the angel said to them, don't be afraid. So fear not in response to their fear. For behold, I've got good news for you of mega joy, great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You're going to find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Earth deserves wrath. God is bringing goodwill and everyone who receives this child is going to get in on it. Verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let's race to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. I don't know if they brought the sheep with them or not, but they left, they went to Bethlehem. They're looking for the evidence of this thing. The sky has got, uh, you know, the sky had gone dark with the, the presence of the angel. Angelic choir is no longer with them, but there's still that star up there that everybody's been commenting on. It says, verse 16, they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen Jesus, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Let me tell you what the angel said to us about this child. 
And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. These weren't preachers. These weren't prophets. These were shepherds who had been touched by an angel themselves, and they were excited about seeing the Messiah of Israel, and they probably didn't even know what that meant. The it's interesting because they probably had tended the lambs that were destined for sacrifice at Jerusalem's temple a few miles away. And now they were seeing the one John the Baptist would call the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Pretty cool to think about it. Verse 19 says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. Mary and Joseph knew what the angel had told them. They had also been encouraged by Mary's trip to see their cousin Elizabeth, but through this whirlwind of circumstances they were facing, there was sadness, there was fatigue, there was irritation, all these different emotions that they were experiencing. But all of a sudden, God sends these unlikely heroes to say, let me tell you what God just told us. Let me tell you what God's revealed to us. And they gave that young couple such encouragement there in that stall. No kings were there to welcome Jesus. There's some wise men that we're about to see. But here's these shepherds. They get there, and they too make much of Jesus, even as Mary made much of the Lord. And sometimes God sends encouragement to us, even at Christmas time, from the strangest of places. If God impresses on your heart to write a note of encouragement somebody, to somebody, do it. If God puts it on your heart to call somebody and you want to encourage them, do that. It makes all the difference during difficult times. And, and that's not just true for those that don't believe, it's true for those that are great believers but aren't able to reach out. I mean, think about all those in the nursing home that still can't be contacted and hugged by their loved ones. A little extra love for them during this time would be so powerful. And in Matthew's gospel, we learn about the wise men. They showed up and they bought presents, right? We think about their presents as we give presents to one another. And they were practical presents. It was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What did they, mean? What did they bring? They brought money and medicine, right? They brought essential oils and uh, money to be used by this young couple with the very real needs they had with baby Jesus and being first-time parents. Then they went to the temple. They heard from Simeon and Anna, right, and got the encouragement that was there. And God uses others to help meet our needs and know we're on the right track. It's no surprise to me that the Gallup organization uh, in the past uh, two weeks or so has done a study. They do it every year, but they did it this year, and they said it's a study of people's mental health and how people are doing emotionally. And they said in every category except one across the country, Americans' mental health has been greatly affected this year. There's only one group of people that as a people have actually not seen a decline in mental health this year. And you know who it was? Those who have attended church weekly during this time. When they're able to go physically, physically, connecting online, their Sunday school classes through Zoom, all those different things. During this year, where everybody else's mental health is going down, Christians have a God they can rely on and each other to turn to. 
And that has made all the difference this year, and it will continue to in Christmas and beyond. You be there for somebody, and God will send somebody to be there for you. The person who's there for you might be the one that you were there for at the end of the day. And that's the final emotion we're going to talk about. The tenth emotion of Christmas was a firm resolve to follow God's leadership. We could wish that uh, once they got the gold, frankincense, and myrrh and went to the temple and dedicated Jesus, we could wish that that was it, that they went on back up to Nazareth and things were smooth sailing from there. But we read in Matthew's gospel that before they returned to Nazareth, they actually had to take baby Jesus down to Egypt for a couple years. So that's the opposite of home. (laughs) That's not getting closer to where family can help with baby Jesus and he can meet his cousins and all the different things. That's further away from where they wanted to be. But Herod had designs to kill baby Jesus and he slaughtered the babies in Bethlehem two years and under. So it was not safe for them to go back to Nazareth. They went to Egypt instead. And so Jesus spent up until his toddling, probably down in Egypt instead of in the land that one day he'd be king of. All the previous emotion they experienced were probably experienced again. And in those early years of being Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary had to stay prayed up with suitcases packed because they didn't know what was going to come next. There, There was not a settling like we all want to be settled. And sometimes the only settling we can have in an unsettled world is that relationship with God that resolved by faith to follow him no matter what. And nobody exemplified that better than this young girl and that young man as they began their married life together and as the parents of the Son of God. Folks, 2020 has had many twists and turns that we've had to navigate by faith. And and, and we really don't know what 2021 holds, but we can do the same thing Mary and Joseph did. We can humbly entrust ourselves to the Savior who humbly entrusted himself to earthly parents for a season. We're told that Mary treasured these things. She pondered them up in her heart. And, and we can do that as, uh, as well. Christmas is incredibly special to me because I was saved during the Christmas season back in 1984. I was a senior in high school and I was lost as a white goose in a snowstorm. I loved Christmas time. I loved the gift getting. I loved the gift giving. I loved singing the songs, but there was also as I would walk during those times and drive to work and go to school, there would be this underlying sadness in my life during that time. I had a hole in my soul that uh, hadn't been able to fill with relationships and substance abuse and whatever other ways. And, and, and somehow Christmas, although I knew it was a joyful time of the year, I wasn't getting in on all the joy I could get in during that time. There was circumstantial happiness. There was not deep-seated joy and a sense of purpose and peace in my life. There was nothing like peace in my life. There was anxiety and wondering about the future, and, and, and uh, I, I was a jerk in relationships and all those different things. And it's during that time that somebody reached out to me. Doug Barr was his name. He was a fellow senior in high school. Got me, tricked me into winding up going to the church service that Sunday morning. And during the Christmas season, I heard the gospel and turned to Christ and was born again. And that was December 16th, 1984. You know where I celebrated Christmas this year? 
in quarantine. I celebrated not Christmas, but the anniversary of my salvation in quarantine this year. But even though it's one of the weirdest Christmas seasons ever, the message of Christmas means as much to me and to you as it ever has this Christmas, and it will see us through. Oh, what a God, my Savior is he, born in a manger, died in a tree. The ancient of days, the one that Micah's prophecy said, his goings forth are of everlasting, of of old, the one that will be born in Bethlehem, the one who had always existed, who's gonna step into time. The ancient of days became the infant of days so that we could join him in having eternal life. That's the good news of Christmas. Won't you bow your heads? Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Tabernacle Today.